And I want to take a minute today, before we get into our sermon, and I want to encourage every single one of you in here today. It doesn't matter what your ministry is. Whether you're in the women's ministry or men's ministry, whether you're working with the kids, whether you're counting money after service, whether you're up there working the sound and the the audio-visual system, whatever your role is, I want you to be encouraged today because this is the season. But I got to be honest with you, and the scripture always confirms this for us, there are more work or there's more work than there are workers. The scripture says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And every single one of you is important. I don't care how seemingly trivial or seemingly insignificant your role or your activity or your ministry is in the church. Every single one of you in this building right now and those who will be listening to this on podcast later, every single one of you is important and you're critically valuable and needed. So I want to encourage you. And if you don't know your ministry yet, if you don't have one, find it. Let's plug in. Talk to someone, and let's just get moving. But now is the time. So I want to encourage you to just keep moving forward. But, you know, sometimes even with us um, going and, and engaging and doing all of these things, sometimes it's really, really hard not to get burned out, especially when there's so much to do and so few people, few people to do it. We can really easily find ourselves getting weary, getting tired, and honestly not wanting to do ministry anymore. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, thank you for being honest. I've been there. We've all been there. Um, and sometimes we just need to get refreshed. You know, there was, uh, I guess about uh, six or seven months ago, I'm driving down the road. I was probably going into New Jersey. I do a lot of business in New Jersey uh, throughout uh, New Jersey, and uh, I felt some shaking in my steering wheel, and um, I just thought it was the road. You know, sometimes a lot of these, you know, roads are just not that great these days, and uh, you get a little shaking your steering wheel, and so I ignored it. Month went by, shaking still happening. It ain't the road now, right? It's still going on. So the, the steering wheel shaking more and more, and I ignored it more, and I ignored it for about three or four months. And before I knew it, I'm really shaking like this as I'm going down on the highway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, I just, I wasn't paying attention to my maintenance of the vehicle. I was just ripping and running so busy. So I eventually took it into the shop. I almost broke down. I'm telling you, it got really serious. And when I took it to the shop, it turns out that uh, I had to get both wheel bearings replaced on both tires, front tires. If you're not a gearhead, don't worry about it. If you are, you know what I'm talking about, but it's okay. Don't, don't get caught up on the bearings. And so I realized I needed to get a tune-up. I needed to make sure that my maintenance was done. And isn't that like with us in ministry? That sometimes we get going so fast, so hard, so much that we neglect our own maintenance. We neglect our own physical maintenance. So I know we surely, surely neglect our spiritual maintenance and our spiritual tune-ups. That's just like us in the faith. But you know, there was um, actually someone who was actually in the faith hall of fame, a guy named Abraham, who also, this great man of faith that we read in the scripture, who also needed a regular spiritual tune-up. And we want to talk about Abraham a little bit today, so if you want to get ahead of me a little bit, you can open your Bibles to Genesis 15. 
We're going to read from there here in a moment. See, Abraham was um, the great man of faith in the scripture. He's spoken about so much, not only uh, in, uh, in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, he's spoken about quite often because faith was accredited to this man. But Abraham, too, needed a spiritual tune-up. Abraham had moments in his life where he didn't always have this perfect confidence in what God was speaking to him and what God was saying to him in his life. And, and quite honestly, Abraham wondered if God was even guiding his life at all at times in his journey. Now, it may seem strange that someone like Abraham would have these ideas, these thoughts, these questions of doubt in his mind, considering everything that Abraham had experienced. At this point in Scripture, again in Genesis 15, we see that Abraham has gone through great lengths to save his nephew Lot. He has fought battles. He has defeated kings. He has gone through a lot. He even got blessed and was encouraged by the priest king, Melchizedek. But perhaps this is a good reminder for us. As we examine this scripture, Melchizedek gives him this encouragement and he receives these spiritual tune-ups from God. Perhaps this is a reminder for us that as awesome as Christmas Eve service and and, uh, the Sunday Easter service are, if you're only attending on those special holiday services, you're going to find your faith growing short very quickly. We need a regular and more frequent tune-up, and that's the importance of the Sunday fellowship every single Sunday. Shouldn't be minimized, shouldn't be trivialized, This is why Sunday worship service, corporate service, is so vitally important to our faith and belief as Christians. So our tune-ups is just much more than the occasional Sunday service. Let's turn to our scripture real quick. We're going to read, you know I like to read little chunks of scripture. It's not just one or two. You know how I like to dig into the word. So go ahead and open your Bibles. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Whatever you have is just fine. Uh, The Pew Bibles are NIV. Um, We're going to read Genesis 15, verse 1 through 17a. I want to pray real quick before we get into that. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you this day, Father, for the amazing work that you continue to do. God, that we have this blessed opportunity to simply be a character in your story, that we could be a piece in your puzzle, Father, and that you could use us for your great work and purpose. God, we pray today that we simply hold on to your promise. We hold on to your covenant, God. And as we do, may we lift you up and bless you. We thank you this day. We thank you for the reading and revelation of your word. And the people of God say... Amen. All right, again, Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to go all the way to verse 17, and then like we normally do, we're going to pick out some nuggets from this scripture and some points of application that I hope will bless you today. All right, so let's start in verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. 
Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. And then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look towards the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord. And he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. When he brought all these things to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds. The bird of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. It came about, we're almost done, verse 17. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. On that day, last verse, we're going to read a little bit, 18, it says, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Thank you, Lord, for the reading and the revelation of your word. Amen. All right. So we read a little bit of scripture here. What's bugging Abraham in this scripture? What's bothering him so much? In verse 1, God says to Abraham, or Abram, not yet Abraham, He says, I am your shield, I am your great reward, he says in verse 1. So what was Abram afraid of? Was, Was he afraid of the kings coming back, the kings that he had just defeated? Was he afraid that these kings would come back with bigger and greater and stronger armies to defeat him? Or maybe he was second guessing his decision to give up all the wealth that the king of Sodom had offered him. If so, I think God is saying something really interesting here. He says, Abram, don't worry about that stuff. He says, I'm your shield. I'm not your servant. 
He says in this text, as I examine this, he says, I'm your great reward. I'm bigger and better than all of the riches of Sodom. And even with that being said, Abram was still unsettled. But why? Why was Abram in this scripture still uneasy? Why was he still so unsettled in this scripture? Because God says to him in verse 3, or Abram says rather in verse 3, he says, but you've given me no child. He says that my servant in my household will be my heir. And therein lies the problem. It may not seem much, but this is a really big problem in the text, guys. Abram is saying, God, you promised me a child, and here I am, I'm still childless. Why is that a big deal? Because God has already promised him that through the family of Abraham would come a savior. No child, no savior. This is a really big deal to Abram in this scripture. And what's really amazing to me is that all the wealth, all the success, all of the money in the world didn't matter to Abram here. It was totally inconsequential in this moment. What was important here in his mind is Abraham thought, what good is all of the earthly possessions if I'm going to hell because my sins are still unforgiven? This is what he was thinking. And I appreciate that Abram here is more concerned about the spiritual and eternal than he was about the earthly and the material. So I ask you, do you share his sentiment? Do you share Abram's sentiment in his mindset when he says that all of those things don't matter? What about the child? And it wasn't what about the child for my own selfish reasons. What about the child for your covenant purpose, God? What about my son? So that's the question I have to you. Do you share this sentiment? Will you cry out to the Lord to strengthen your faith instead of crying out to the Lord to strengthen your finances? Will you cry out to God for, for, for someone in your family who is sick or will you cry out to God for that sick loved one who doesn't have faith in the Lord? Why are you crying out to him? This Thanksgiving, as you're at your table and you're praying to the Lord, I ask you, will you be praising God because of your material things or will you be praising God because of his promises? What will you be praising God for? So how did God respond to Abram's concerns? How did God respond to this doubt, this concern, this question? How did God engage or re-engage Abram in this conversation? Did he roll his eyes with impatience? Did he say, come on, Abram, I told you this already. Did he look at him in disgust and say, we talked about this already. I'm going to give you a son. Relax. But no, God doesn't say that. And I, I love here how this is a really delightful thing about God and how wonderful God is. When we have questions, when we have doubts, God deals with us so gracefully when we have those doubts and questions. He's not harsh. He's not abusive in any way. And just like with Abram, he dealt with him gently. And this is what he did when Abram asked him this. In the scripture, he says, 
Come on outside, son. Let me show you something. Now I want you to look up at the heavens. This is God talking to Abram. He wasn't rough with him. He wasn't abusive in any way. When Abraham was doubting, when he wasn't sure, he said, let me take you outside. Son, I want you to look at the heavens. And you see all those stars in the sky? I want you to count them if you can. Because that's how numerous your descendants will be. Thank you. God dealt with him in such an amazing and gentle way. And he says, you won't even be able to count your offspring. I'm going to bless you so tremendously. What's God doing here? You notice how God isn't just repeating his promise, right? Because God had already told him, I'm going to promise you these things. God already told him that. And you notice how God just didn't repeat himself. God had a wonderful and beautiful and gentle way of repeating his promise, but illustrating it so that every time he looked up at the heavens and saw the stars, the countless stars in the sky, all he would think about is God's promise and his love for him. And isn't that what we do? Every time we see a rainbow, I saw one of the most beautiful rainbows I had ever seen in my life when I was in Costa Rica. Some of our last Costa Rica mission team remembers this. It was a double rainbow, and it was as bright as bright could be. It was a rainbow in HD. I'm not kidding. This is not an exaggeration. Right, Christina? This is not an exaggeration. Two rainbows right next to each other in HD, as bright as the colors could be in the spectrum. And when I saw that, just like Abraham, I remembered the promise of God that he made to Noah and that he made to us, that he would never, ever again destroy the world in a flood. And I love how gentle God is in his reminders to us. And in verse 6 of the passage we just read, it said that Abram believed. And it was credited to him righteousness because he believed. Now, He's still wondering. Abram still has questions. We'll read in verse 8. He says, because he's asking him now about the land. You see, listen, in Genesis, we read about three promises. We read about the seed, the land, and the blessings. So here, Abram is asking him, he already asked him about the seed, and so now he's asking him about the land that God has already promised. And watch this in verse 8. Abram says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Talking about the lamb. Now, at this point, guys, God must have been annoyed. I already told you. Why must I repeat myself again? If you're a parent, you understand this intimately. Okay. He says, but but God doesn't do that. Again, I already told you I was going to promise you this land as a promise, as an inheritance forever and ever. Why do I got to repeat it? No, God doesn't say that. Instead, God says, okay, Abram, go ahead and get me a heifer and go get a goat. Go get a ram and go get two birds. Cut them in half. Now, what's interesting about this is that sounds really, really weird to us. 
And I had to read this a few times to really get it, to really digest it and understand what God was saying. But that's weird. I'm walking through some dead animals. That's, that's not right. But what God was saying in our terms today is God was saying, listen, I'm so serious about what I'm saying to you, and clearly you haven't gotten it. So let me tell you how serious I am. I want you to go get yourself a lawyer because this business that I'm discussing with you is so serious, I need to put it in writing so we can get this contract on paper. This is how serious God is, and this is the modern-day equivalent. But see, back in those days, they didn't have lawyers and contracts and those sorts of things. Back in those days, the custom was for two people coming into a business agreement was to walk in between the halves of an animal that was killed. And see, what, it's, what that symbolizes, it's saying that as I'm walking through, as you and I in partnership are walking together in between these animals, what we're saying is that if I break this covenant with you, if I break this covenant, may I too be like these animals split in half. Serious business. As soon as he does it, I love this. And I'm going to, there's some real life application here. The minute he does this, the scripture says, a bird of prey came down to claim what he had just split in two. It doesn't say what kind of bird, could have been a vulture, could have been anything, right? But it says a bird of prey came down to try to claim what he had just laid down. Beloved, that is our life with the devil every day. That is what the devil tries to do every moment of every day of our life. Let me give you an example. Right now, how many times since I've started speaking has your mind been distracted? I'm being real. Yes, the devil is at work, even right here in this room. His aim is to distract you. See, Abraham was about to get into the business of this covenant signing with God. And so what does the devil do? The devil comes down to try to distract you and take what God has given you. And it's exactly what happens to us every day of our life, especially when God's trying to do a work in your life. You see, the minute you work for God and try to sign this covenant, this agreement with God, you best believe it's going to make you an enemy of God or of, of, of the devil rather very quickly. And he's going to come after you. That's his whole goal is to distract you. But what does Abram do? Come on, get out of here. Shoot. He gets him away and off they go. Are you fighting against him? And are you trying to shoo away the distractions of the devil every day in your life? Or are you going to let him pick at what you were trying to lay down before God? Think about that for a moment. And the scripture says that immediately upon shooing him away, as soon as he shooed away the vulture, the bird of prey, it says what? He fell into a deep sleep. He was out cold. And in this text, he would not let, before he fell asleep, guys, you got to see this, he would not let anything take him away from this covenant signing that he was about to do with God. And so he falls asleep. And then something really interesting happens here when he falls asleep. See, Moses records something really interesting here in this text. 
that God now says, listen, before I get into this covenant, I got to explain something to you. Your prospering, your growth is going to come with some persecution. If you read in the scripture, why did the people grow the way they did? They grew in a land that was foreign to them. They grew in a place they did not know. And later, with great persecution. And it was the very persecution in Egypt, just like the great persecution of the early church, that expanded their growth, that increased their numbers. It's amazing how we grow under persecution. But he says, listen, I'm going to send you into that place. But watch, I got a plan, Abram. I have a plan. I'm going to send you there for a season. But, and it's not going to be easy. But when I bring you out of that place, you are going to be blessed beyond measure. Beloved, we're coming out of that place. Are y'all hearing me today? We are coming out of that place, that time and that season of hardship. And the blessing beyond measure is right around the corner. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And so I love how God doesn't give him all the specifics, though. God isn't giving him all of the details. But he still believed. Abraham still had faith. So I ask you, and I asked you this two weeks ago, and I ask you again today, without all the details, will you still have faith to move forward in what God has already shown you? I know God called me personally into a mission and into a ministry here in Wilmington, and I have no idea what I'm doing. But I know that he called me to walk, and so I just walk in faith. And I let God fill in the details as we go. But I'm going to keep walking, even though I'm not quite sure we keep walking. And isn't that how God deals with us? That he prospers us most when we don't have all the details and we're just going. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what's to the left or to the right, but we keep going. And it's amazing how if we operate in love and in faith, God blesses us abundantly. I didn't say there wouldn't be trouble, but I did say he would bless you. So with all of this, one thing is very clear. Just like God promised Abram, he's promising us today. That he promises, guys, listen to me carefully, he promises to be with us. He ensures it, that he will be with us. And he promises that his children will have an end that is beautiful and blessed. And what do I mean with an end? Because listen, death can't hold us. And so as children of God, even in death, he promised us a good ending. He promised us that we would receive the glory and the riches of heaven if we would just have faith. Okay, maybe that one doesn't strike you. So let me give you a different one. Think about for a moment the darkness that the disciples had to endure on Good Friday. Think about it for a moment. That was not a very promising day for them. The man that they had walked with for three and a half years, the Messiah they considered to be the redeemer of everything in the world, he died. He was crucified, and they weren't quite sure. 
They didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring, but the horror of Good Friday gave light to the brilliance and the beauty of Easter Sunday. Somebody say amen, amen. <laughs> because it happened because he promised it to be so. In the same way God promised Abraham for it to be so. Will you hold on to what God has promised you to be so? Even in your darkest hour. Some of you right now might be in a dark place in your life. But will you hold on to the promise that God has given you? Will you be reminded when you look up at the stars that God has promised to be with you and that God has promised that in the end, you will end well? Will you hold on to that? But God isn't done yet. God actually wants to put an exclamation point on this promise. Now God finally appears to Abram in the vision. And God appears in a really interesting way, and I wasn't quite picking up what he was putting down when I first read this scripture. But it says that God appeared in a, some of your texts say, a flaming stove or oven, or pot, whatever the, the context is. God appeared to him in this flaming pot and with the torch. And it, the scripture tells us that almost like an Olympic torch procession, that this pot and this torch were just proceeding along by themselves in between the carcasses. Now, some people would argue, and the scripture is clear, that maybe Abram was holding the torch. Beloved, he was asleep. Abram was asleep, seeing the presence of God in his sleep in a dream. He was seeing God do this. And what I love about this is, as God puts an exclamation point on this covenant promise to him, what God does not say is, you have to keep your nose clean and that you have to behave yourself in order to secure heaven. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that at all. No, what he does say is, I sent my son to secure heaven for you. That's the covenant. Again, all you have to do is believe in him. That's it. He says, I'm going to do all the work. All you have to do is believe in him. I thank God when I read this scripture that this is a one-sided covenant. You see, you guys got to catch this. God just made a business arrangement with us. He made a deal with us. But notice how Abram was not involved in carrying the pot, carrying the torch. Abram wasn't involved in any of it. He was asleep. God said, this is a one-sided covenant. I'm going to do it all. All of this is on me, says the Lord. This is my covenant. All the work is on me. I take all the obligation. I take all the responsibility. Here's the good news. You're the benefactor. Amen. Someone can say amen to that. You will receive all the benefit. You don't have to do a thing. That's why I put you to sleep. Let me do the work. See, some of y'all need to go to sleep so God can do the work. Okay, because <laughs> y'all got your hands too busy in it. Go to sleep for a little while. Let God do the work. No, but listen, God's saying, listen, this is a one-sided covenant. This is mine. I will do the work. All you have to do, one thing, believe. Believe. Because your works won't do it. None of your efforts, none of your tithing, none of that will do it. Believe. Have faith. 
Believe in me that even in your darkest hour, you will believe that I will do what I said to you that I would do. Or will you lack in the fellowship? Will you forget your spiritual tune-ups every week? And will you fade away? But God says, believe in me. Because it's through his covenant blood, through the sacrifice of Jesus' covenant blood, guys, that we have forgiveness. So what do we learn today as we close? I want to recap this with a couple points. And if you're taking notes, here's probably where you want to jot down these final points. These are your take-home notes and something maybe you want to pray about this week. See, we learned together this morning that even people with great faith, someone like Abraham, a man of such tremendous faith written about through all of Scripture, even someone like him had questions. He had doubts. I expect that all of us would as well. Well, we're not sure. When our money gets a little funny, change is a little strange, your kids ain't acting right, right? You have doubts. You have questions. God, will you be with them? God, will you save them? Lord, you promised me this. What are you going to do? Those doubts and concerns are natural, but we need regular spiritual tune-ups that only God can provide in this corporate relationship that we have together. And then if we don't get it, I can assure you, like so many others, you'll probably abandon your faith pretty quickly. So you need a spiritual tune-up. So continue to come in fellowship, not only with us, but come in fellowship with God in your own private time, in your own prayer closet. Please come in this covenant relationship for regular tune-ups with God. We also learned today that being close to God means being an enemy of Satan. And that everything you do every day, he is going to just try to distract you from doing what God is calling you to do. Mainly two things, to love and to serve. Think about those two things. Those, those will, if you, if you address those two things in your life every day, think about how much your life will change. To love and to serve. And his whole goal is to keep you angry and selfish. That's his goal. But will you shoo away the enemy the way Abram did? Or will you just let him feast on your life? Finally, you know, it's, um, it's foolish for us to make decisions based on emotion. See, Abram, in the story, um, he was, the scripture says he was terrified. He was filled with great fear when he had that vision. But notice in the scripture, God was with him. And so despite his emotions, Abram made a decision to continue to stay there, stay in, and stay engaged with God. Far too often, our emotions can and often do mislead us. Our emotions can cripple us. But here we have to learn that foolish decisions come by making our faith decisions based on our emotions. But Abram didn't. And he was a great example for us that even when we're feeling low, when we're feeling sad, when we're feeling weak, when we're feeling not so great, that we don't make our faith decisions based on our feelings because they're temporary. And greater is the joy of tomorrow 
All right. Finally, I want to point out this, and then we're done. We're going to pray, and we're going to get out of here. God is going to bring us back. If you're in a dark place right now, if your faith is unsure, if you're doubting, if God is taking you through a season right now where you just have a lot of questions, I just want to encourage you today to remember that he will bring you to the light of the joy of heaven. And see, right now, if God's in your heart, heaven's on earth. You don't have to wait to go into eternity with him. See, if you have God in your heart, he's already brought heaven on earth. And he'll fill you with that joy. But see, you won't remember that if you're not getting a regular spiritual tune-up. You won't remember that if you're not engaged constantly with the fellowship of the body and if you're not engaged constantly with fellowship and communion with God. So I encourage you today to let each one of you every single day hold on to the promise of God and keep getting that spiritual tune-up so that your journey of faith will come to a fine and completed end. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you with so many doubts, so many concerns. Father, we're really not sure what to do some days. And quite honestly, we often feel lost. But Father, as I open your word, I'm reminded that it's not just me. We're reminded that we're not the only ones. That we see men who were giants in the faith in your scripture, how much better and stronger and seemingly um, more full of your spirit than we are. And they still had those same doubts. God, they still had those very same concerns. But Lord, what I also see and what I pray that you will fill your people with is that they were filled with an unwavering desire and unshakable resolve to continue to pursue you despite their feelings, despite their concerns, and remember your promise. So I thank you today, Lord, for these people, for their hearts. I pray today, God, that they be blessed, and I pray that you elevate them for your name's sake and not for our own. Thank you for our tune-ups our daily devotionals, our reading, our fellowship. We thank you for those amazing tune-ups. And we thank you, God, that your covenant is a one-sided covenant, that it was all on you. All we have to do is believe. So thank you for the faith. Thank you for allowing us to believe. We love you this day, Father. We lift you up. And the people of God say, amen.